Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President Stacy Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Six, four, afternoon everybody welcome to the tuesday trade deadline specialty edition of the 643 podcast hosted by yours truly dylan short found uh, at the podcast park along with all of the other podcasts from your favorite 680 the fan hosts whether that be the frozen rope report with kevin McAlpin, chris domino's special matt Chernoff and his two podcasts hoyt and lowe's with the audio fun bag or whatever uh saturdays down south with dan matthews there are a whole host of podcasts brought to you by all of your favorite 680 hosts at the podcast park or wherever your favorite podcasts are located uh, also this podcast is brought to you by 680 the fan and the dickey broadcasting company helping bring you everything you need to know for your favorite sports news in the Atlanta area or the greater state of Georgia area. So today is the trade deadline day. 6 p.m. is the deadline. That's why I'm getting this one out to you a little bit later. I've waited about as long as I could to get this one going. And my word, there is a lot to discuss. I was worried when we got reports on, it was either Thursday or Friday, saying that this past weekend was going to be one of the craziest deadlines we'd ever seen. Well, Saturday and Sunday really didn't get much. It was pretty dead. It was all quiet on the Western Front. Juan Soto's trade was kind of holding everything up. And then, Lord above, the floodgates opened. And yesterday was one of the craziest days I have seen for a trade deadline ever. And this is one of the things... Baseball fans always kind of, we, we love talking up the trade deadline, and it almost never ends up being like the NBA trade deadline. Now, the NFL trade deadline is, is pretty bland and horrible. Most of the time, if you're making a trade for the NFL, it's going to be in the offseason because you can't really trade in season and hope that they can pick up your system and, and all that good stuff. But for MLB, you always see some guys moving. Uh, obviously, with the Braves last year, we saw what the Braves did, and, and we look back in hindsight, and we say how amazing those moves were at the time when you were looking at them. Uh, they were just very smart moves that happened to work out. So going into this season, obviously the Braves at this point in time, they're a much better team 
than they were this time a season ago. So I kind of came into this wondering, well, what are they really going to add? I, or I didn't think they were going to add any big pieces, and to this point they haven't. We'll discuss those in just a second. But there were a lot of teams now with the expanded playoffs in baseball that were kind of throwing a monkey wrench into everything. Now that there's a few extra playoff spots up for grabs, you started asking, or I started asking anyway, how were teams going to approach the deadline? Would more teams be buyers? Would more teams be sellers? Would more people be willing to just kind of hold serve and see if they could snag that last playoff spot? I didn't really know what to expect. And when this weekend ended up being really, really dead, I was really worried that we weren't going to see much of anything at all. And I know a lot of people had talked about how maybe the best move for a Juan Soto trade was to wait until this offseason. I told you guys on 680 The Fan on a couple of the um, a couple of the audio fumback episodes and a couple of the pregame shows that I didn't find that to be a smart idea. I thought it would have been smarter to trade Juan Soto at this deadline so that the team acquiring him would be able to, or so that you could say that the team acquiring him would have three shots at a World Series with him before you got to break him off for half a billion dollars. And that did happen, which we will definitely get to. But for the Braves, this is the most important part. The Braves, in their trade market, got off and started pretty light. And they brought back Adrianza for uh, for Trey Harris. And this is kind of, I, I guess I'll take credit, this is kind of what kicked off the deadline. Uh, Adrian is not having a great season at all. He's actually been one of the worst offensive players in baseball so far this year. But he's a guy that can play multiple positions. The Braves are infinitely familiar with him. He's a wonderful person to have in the clubhouse. He's... You know, pretty much any clubhouse he goes into, he's pretty much everybody's favorite. And I know clubhouse presence and everything, but it also meant that you kicked Robinson Cano to the curb. Uh, to the curb, so I'm perfectly fine with this. Aray takes Cano's spot; doesn't matter. Aray gives you somebody that can play second base, shortstop, third base, uh, left field, right field. You could probably throw him at first base if you wanted to, and he'd be okay. That's a versatile piece to have. He's come up big in spots before the double last season, before the Eddie Rosario three-run bomb is one that will always stick out to me. Aray is a, a fine person to add as an end-of-the-bench type of player. But the big news for the Braves was not a trade at all. They came out out of nowhere yesterday, and you got an announcement on Twitter that, or I see this scroll across my page, and I get an update from ESPN, and I see it, and I just kind of stopped for a second, and, I'll, and I'm not going to lie, at my other job, I literally walked out the door to go sit down and think about this for a second as the Braves extended Austin Riley coming off of a month in which he broke a Hank Aaron record for the most extra base hits in a calendar month for the franchise for the Braves. That's a very, very long franchise. And not only did he do that, he did it with a walk-off double. You can't really script it any more than that. Austin Riley's had the greatest month or had the greatest month of July that I've ever witnessed from a Braves player. One of the best months of July that you'll ever see. Actually, he and Chipper Jones are the only people in Braves history to hit 400 for a month with double digit homers. And Austin Riley did that. I think he hit something like 420 for the month of July and had 11 bombs. And everything he hit was an extra base hit, and he got rewarded really quickly with a 10-year, $212 million deal with an option in a final year from that, which can push it to 11 and 232 or 236, somewhere along those lines. But for Austin Riley, what a turnaround for that man from going from where he was in 2019, 2020, and the start of 2021 to 
a guy that you were wondering, really wondering what he was going to be as a big leaguer. Was he one of those that was going to have to either live with being a 230 with power, or was he going to have to sacrifice the power in order to be a 270, 280 type of hitter? Well, he had that series in New York against the Yankees where he took one opposite field and just kind of wall scraped it, where it just kind of looked like he got really tired of hitting it light, being a 6'3", 240-pound light hitter, and he hit that there in New York. And from that point on, Austin Riley has become one of the best hitters in all of Major League Baseball. He's carried that over into this season where it's it's just been another level of insanity from Austin Riley. And when I read you Austin Riley's stat line, bear in mind that Austin struggled for close to a month, which makes this line that you're seeing from him this year even more insane. 29 homers, 68 ribbies, a 24.8 strikeout percentage. That is lower than last year. That's the second lowest of his career right behind 2020, where it was 23.8. A 7.1 of the walk percentage. This is the crazy part, is I think that's going to improve. His pitchers are just going to stop throwing to him. His isolated power. This is the main key cog when you're looking at Austin Riley. 303. That is shortlist elite in baseball. That's good for a 301, 360, 604 line worth a total a whopping total of 163 wrc plus he's at 4.6 f4 after setting a 4.7 last season he's going to blow by that number you're looking at a guy that has a chance to go 300 400 600 this season because he's gonna get 40 bombs it's gonna happen he's got a shot to finish i would say he's got a real shot to finish at 7f4 this season which for a third baseman it's absolute insanity i've come to the point this year where I still think it's between him and Paul Goldschmidt, and I think there's a real shot that the that, that Freddie Freeman, if he goes on a power binge, he's going to really climb up the MVP voting because he's just not getting out right now. And I think Goldschmidt will fade. Typically in his career, Goldie has been much better in the first half than the second half. So I'll, I'll be kind of watching that. But it might not matter. Austin might just keep crushing baseballs enough to where he's going to just overtake everyone he's hitting the only two hitters in baseball that are even near the same planet as austin riley right now are aaron judge who's gonna break roger maris's yankees record for home runs in a season he's got an outside shot at 70 and jordan alvarez who again himself is one of the most impactful hitters in baseball in a trade in which the astros just absolutely fleeced the dodgers got jordan alvarez for josh fields and while i love my georgia bulldogs jordan alvarez has been a criminally underrated he was a criminally underrated prospect and he's been criminally underrated until this season he's got massive power and he's an outstanding hitter on top of it and austin riley is performing as well as those two if not slightly better let me just read you his line for the month of july before we really get going because there's a ton of trades that we got to talk about including some big ones that have big key 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 storylines for the rest of the season but for the month of july for austin riley 18 percent strikeout percentage 6.3 on the walk percentage that is that strikeout percentage, by the way, lowest he's had this lowest of any month this season. Hit 423, 459 with an 885 slugging. It's a 1344 OPS in the month of July, a 462 ISO. That was he added 35 runs created just in the month of July, worth an incredible 267 wrc plus in the month of july just absolute insanity and for the braves to get austin riley one it's the biggest contract given out in team history that's incredible congrats to austin riley there but it doesn't it doesn't really hurt the braves alex Stanthopoulos did it again where he bought out three years of arbitration got it to where by the time austin's done with this deal he's gonna be potentially he'll be 35 uh maybe 36 if they exercise the option so you did pretty much buy out 
all of his major contract, which is why whenever, if anybody tries to compare this to the Ronald Acuna deal, you can't really do it in the same way. Because Acuna, by the time his contract with the Braves is done, he'll be in prime opportunity, if he's healthy and everything, to have another $100 million type of deal, $200 million type of deal. So he'll probably end up eclipsing Riley's contract. But to get Austin Riley on this type of deal where you're not, he's not making more than $22 million a season. That's insanity. He's making less than pretty much anybody getting broke off right now. He's a better player than Corey Seager. He's going to be making less than Corey Seager. He's making less than Marcus Semien. He's making way less than Max Scherzer. He's going to be one of these guys that we look at and say, per value, one of the best contracts in baseball. And if he even, let's just say that this is the best season that he has. I said this last year too, but let's say this is the tops. $22 million for a guy that's worth nearly 5F4 is still a great deal. Alex Anthopoulos, I'm going to say right now, Alex Anthopoulos is definitively the best GM in baseball. And I, I think Andrew Freeman could be close. I think Andrew Freeman is phenomenal. But you cannot argue that Alex Anthopoulos, not only has, has he won a World Series with Atlanta, a team that had all of that stuff go down with John Coppola before he got in there. He brought this farm system, or he helped bring this farm system back up through a rebuild. And everything that you're seeing with the Braves right now, with the exception of like Matt Olson and Charlie Morton, are guys that the Braves brought up through their own system. I, you could say Marcelo Zuna, but he's not been good this year. Uh, Travis Darno was a trade that you brought in there. But everybody else, William Contreras, Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, Max Freed. I'll count Max Freed because when the Braves acquired him, he was in, he was in uh, I can't remember if it was high A or if it was double A, but he was, he was in the minors. So that development is on the Braves. Ian Anderson, I know it hasn't been great for him this year, but we've seen what Ian's done in the past. All of these guys were brought up through the Brave system. That makes this even more incredible. Alex Anthopoulos, easily the number one GM in baseball right now. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. And the Braves weren't done. They went in and they traded with the Houston Astros, they traded Will Smith straight up for Jake Odorizzi. And this is another one of those where I, I kind of can't believe it happened. This is one of those where both, uh, actually both fan bases were like, oh, thank God he's gone. But for, for Jake Odorizzi, 32 years old, he's a guy this season, he's had 12 starts, 60 innings pitched, 6.9 strikeouts per nine. He's never been a high K guy outside of a blip in 2019 where he was 10 per nine, 255 walk rate per nine. So he's not going to kill you there. Uh, 375, 361, 461 XFIP. I'm not as worried about the XFIP, but 375 with a 361 FIP. 
a good pitcher to add there. He upgrades the fifth spot in your rotation, and it does kind of mean that the Braves could go in kind of two directions here. I wonder what this means for Ian Anderson, because Odorizzi is better than Ian Anderson this season. Now, Ian Anderson coming off a phenomenal start his last time out there, deserves a lot of credit. Really beat up on the Arizona lineup and the start that Ian really needed. But does that mean that Ian Anderson gets floated in the deal for somebody like an Ian Happ, where it's been really, really quiet on the Ian Happ front the last few days? And Ian Happ was regarded as the second best outfielder available in the trade deadline behind Juan Soto. Now, I'm sure that there's going to be talk of the Yankees trying to get him or whatever, but for the most part, you haven't heard really anything on Ian Happ or Brandon Drury, which I do find very odd as well. There's a few of these guys that I think the Braves fit that you aren't hearing anything about, and that's very much of Alex Anthopoulos' M.O. And if you got Jake Odorizzi planning that you would be willing to deal Ian Anderson, that's a piece that the Cubs would probably be extremely interested in in a return for an Ian Happ. Now, the Braves did get Robbie Grossman. That was another trade that they added. They traded um, uh, a, a single-A reliever uh, who actually got demoted from single, got demoted from uh, high A to Augusta. I uh, can't remember his name right now, but he was, not a, he was not a reliever that looked like he was going to make an impact with the Braves anytime soon. So I thought that that was a fine deal. If you look at Robbie Grossman's line, you're not going to be impressed. He's hitting 205. He's, he's not not playing well as, as far as his overall stat line. But when you do dig a little bit deeper, what he does is what he's always done, and he just mashes left-handed pitching. He's got about 1,000 OPS versus left-handed pitching. And that's what he does well. That's what he's going to be asked to do here. He's going to end up platooning with Eddie Rosario. Now, I don't think that the, the acquisition of Robbie Grossman precludes them from adding another outfielder. Like, if you can get an Ian Happ, then you get Ian Happ, and you figure out what to do with Marcelo Zuna along the way. But the Braves able to do what they did and get Robbie Grossman, it's, you know, it's not the flashy name, but like I said at the start of the show, I didn't necessarily think they were going to be in on the flashy names. And they haven't added a, they haven't added a reliever yet. They could do that, although Kirby Yates coming up is going to kind of complicate matters a little bit as somebody in that bullpen is going to have to be sent down. It already looked like Will Smith was going to be the one who was going to get DFA'd. So I'm not sure. What you're going to see there, maybe it's Jackson Stevens, but it does mean that Dylan Lee is going to be the guy, the lefty in the pin, getting the high leverage spots. Maybe the Braves target a lefty reliever. I'm not quite sure what there's on that front. Alex always adds a reliever, so I'd still kind of hang a bet that there's going to be a reliever added somewhere. Maybe he goes for Ian Happ and David Robertson from the Cubs. Maybe he one-stop shops it. But I wouldn't be shocked if they're able to get an Ian Happ for a deal that they like, that you have Ian Happ come in and play left field, you have a guy that's you know pretty good as far as making contact. He's got some decent power. It's not the best in the world, but you have a guy that's going to solidify left field, and I think that that's something that the Braves could do. If you could find any way to take to trade away Marcelo Zuna, I think you would do that. Uh, I think that there's any number of ways Alex Anthopoulos could go. I've, I've kind of given up on trying to predict what Alex Anthopoulos is going to do, uh, but with Ian Happ, you do get another year of control. He's not a free agent until after the 2024 season, so you get two full years with him, plus whatever you get this season. Now, he's only got nine homers on the year, so the power is a little bit down from what we've seen in the past three years, but he is hitting 279, 360 with a 436 slug. It's good for a 122 WRC+. He's not a great defender, but he's a solid defender in a corner. He can play all three outfield spots. At one point in time, he even played second base as well. Don't know if that's something that they'd even consider until Ozzie Albies gets back, but it's certainly out there that you could do that. He's only he's cut his strikeout rate down to the lowest of his career at 22.3%. He's walking at a double-digit rate, 10.3%. There's a lot you could do with a guy like Ian Happ.
And I think that that's a good target for Alex Anthopoulos. But I will say this. Even if the Braves don't do anything else, then I think I'd be perfectly fine. I think that if the Braves just say that, hey, we got Austin Riley locked up, we got Robbie Grossman, who we think can just absolutely mash lefties and can platoon with Eddie Rosario very well, and we got Jake Odorizzi, who can maybe allow me to, to mess around with Ian Anderson and offer Ian in a trade, or is a guy that can maybe the Braves want to play around and really give it a, a six-man rotation a go. Maybe they decide to use Odorizzi as a piggyback option with Ian Anderson for now or, or to monitor Spencer Strider going forward. I think there's a lot of ways you can mess with this. I think you can see the Braves do something a little bit differently, something that we're not really used to this team. You got rid of Will Smith, which means I don't have to see him in any more high-leverage situations. So for me... This is an A-plus deadline already. Just This would have been A-plus for me if you didn't make a single trade and all you did was the Austin Riley maneuver. That by itself is perfectly fine. I don't think this Braves team really needs a ton because I keep saying it, once Ronald really gets back to Ronald form, if he does this year, I think there, there is an outside shot. He doesn't start lifting this year at all, and it's more of an off-season focus to kind of get everything back into the swing of things. But even hitting the way he is, as long as he's hitting the ball hard, he'll be you know above-average player. He won't be Ronald, but he'll be above-average You've seen what Michael Harris has been able to do consistently pretty much all season long. He'll go into little bouts of slumps here and there, make an adjustment and figure it out. William Contreras is back to hitting the ball, hitting uh, had a two-homer day the other day. And I think that you're, what you're looking at now, even with Ronald struggling as much as he has, a 110 WRC+. plus. It's not Ronald Acuna, but I'll take it. Uh, you start talking about Michael Harris, the best defensive center fielder in baseball right now. He's hitting baseballs pretty hard, even if he is not really walking right now. I still think that part of it is coming. You're, you're feeling good there. You start talking about Matt Olson, how he's really latched onto the power aspect now. The homers are starting to fly out from Matt Olson. You feel great there. I think Ozzy's going to be back relatively quickly. I think the fact that they haven't gone out and added a second baseman, why I'm not going to count out a Brandon Drury, I don't think, and I didn't think for a while, I really haven't thought at all that they were going to spend a ton to get a really good second baseman, especially if you because Ozzy Albies is their second baseman going forward. So I didn't think Alex would deplete a farm system that's already not very deep to add in a, a second baseman that's either going to move to the bench or you're going to have to find a different spot for him. I think if you're able to get a guy that could play second until Ozzy comes back and then could upgrade Ozuna at DH, I think that would be a possibility. Maybe the Rays get really crazy and trade Brandon Lau. I don't know. They're, they're, I, I don't doubt Alex Anthopoulos, so whatever he goes in that respect, I'm fine with. Uh, obviously with Austin Riley, you feel great. Travis Darno, even though he hasn't been hitting well, we know that a lot of what Travis's value is, is how well he works with the pitching staff. The pitching has done great. Max Fried's looked amazing. Spencer has still looked outstanding. Uh, I think that, uh, I, I don't, I'm not counting on Spencer having to go to the bullpen. I know it's more likely than not. There's like a 90% chance that he's going to have to have his innings slashed. He's going to hit some wall, but until I see it, I'm just not going to doubt him. His last time out there went six innings, had six Ks. It wasn't, it was the best start he'd had since July 7th, uh, so that was a good thing to see from him. And, you know, it's Philadelphia. They're not the best lineup in the world, but they can hit bombs, and he only gave up three hits in one run, which was off of a homer and one walk. So I'm not going to doubt Spencer Strider. The Braves are feeling great at the deadline, and that's good because the trade that has the entire baseball world rocking right now, the San Diego Padres are the winners of the Juan Soto sweepstakes. And I should say, all of this started with the Mariners kind of coming out of left field a little bit and getting Luis Castillo by giving up a haul to get him. 
I know a lot of you guys aren't as big into the prospects as I am, but what the Mariners gave up, Noel V. Marte, Edwin Arroyo, um, they gave up a lot of pieces to get Luis Castillo. And that was a big time get for the Mariners. They really needed a high-end pitcher. I thought Luis Castillo was the best one on the market. I thought that they they did a really good job to go get him. Noel V. Marte, Edwin Arroyo, Levi Stout, and Andrew Moore. Now, seeing what you're seeing today, the deal doesn't look quite as bad. Noel V. Marte is an absolute stud. He's a consensus top 20 prospect. You put him along with Ellie De La Cruz in the red system, and they also got Edwin Arroyo, who's a top 100 type of shortstop, who's showing a lot more power than expected and is an exceptional defender. The Reds did really good on that trade. The Mariners get to add Luis Castillo, who I think is better than Robbie Ray, which makes them better. They're gunning for a playoff spot. The last time they made the playoffs, Noel V. Marte was in his mother's belly. He was not born yet. So for them, that's a that's a move that's pushing in the chips a little bit. They were able to keep Jared Kelenic. They were able to keep George Kirby and Emerson Hancock and a lot of other good good prospects for them. So I thought that was that's a good trade for both sides. I think the Reds did a great job there. Uh, and that, that was what really kicked off everything. That was the first big trade. Before then, you know, you could say Benintendi, but that, I'm not a big Benintendi guy. I didn't think that was a big deal, really, for the Yankees. Didn't really give up much to get him on anyway. Uh, the Mets made some small deals. Tyler Naquin, nothing deals. That's another thing. The Mets, who came into this kind of talking about flexing their muscles, how they were going to be on everybody, they really haven't gotten anybody of any real consequence. Dan Vogelbach and Tyler Naquin and Philip Deal, who's an awful reliever. Uh, the Dodgers made a deal to get Chris Martin. And then you had the Cardinals uh, get Jojo Romero for Edmundo Sosa to the Phillies. Uh, the Rays got David Peralta. That was that one's not bad. I thought that was a pretty good deal for them. David Peralta is a guy that's done pretty well for them this year. The Rays are still in the thick of things. You knew they weren't really going to be on Juan Soto. Then you had San Francisco and the Cubs make a tiny trade. Dixon Machado and Raynell es- es- uh, Espino. Nothing major. Uh, that's when you got the Adrian Adrianza deal. And after that is when things started getting fun. The Yankees got a, a reliever, Scott Efros from the Cubs, a really good side armor, almost submariner for a pitching prospect, Hayden Wisniewski, who's pretty good guy back into the rotation four or five. Um, but the Cubs pitching coach has a lot of familiarity with him. And Wisniewski is, is a pretty good prospect in his own right. I think he'll end up starting for the Cubs. Good deal for the Yankees there. Then the Astros and Baltimore got in on the action. And the Astros got Trey Mancini from Baltimore, which at first I thought I was super angry at Baltimore because Baltimore actually has an outside shot of getting to the postseason. They're above 500. They've been playing really good baseball lately, and they don't have a lot of pitching. But Trey Mancini is kind of the heart and soul of that ball club. He's one of the most well-liked players in baseball. Everybody knows the story of him coming back from cancer, but just a phenomenal dude. And I I was kind of upset that Baltimore traded him. And so you see that that was a a three-team deal where the Rays got in on the action and got Jose Siri from the Astros. And in return, Baltimore got Seth Johnson from the Rays. That was a phenomenal pickup by then. Seth Johnson's going to slot in as the third best prospect in their system, behind or third best pitcher, I should say, behind Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. That That's a good three-piece rotation there. Johnson's probably two years away, I would factor in. You'll see Grayson Rodriguez next year, Grayson Hall next year, if you don't see him some points of this year. But I thought that was a good deal for them. If they really want to bring back Mancini, they could sign him again this offseason. Then the Padres did the first real blockbuster. They got, ta- they got Josh Hader from the Brewers. A little bit odd to see a team like the Brewers leading their division, trading their closer, 
Uh, Hayter gotten absolutely mollywalloped in the month of July, but other than that has been typical Josh Hayter. But they did get quite a few pieces in return. San Diego gave them Taylor Rogers, a lefty, uh, lefty guy out of the bullpen who struggled this year, but has been very good in the past. Uh, pitching prospect Robert Gasser, who is a pretty pretty good pitching prospect. I, I'm not as high on him as some other outlets, but he's a guy that looks like, I think he's going to be the bullpen, but he's a guy that at least has an outside shot to start. Estiuri Ruiz, who leads professional baseball in steals with 60 and has like a 460 on base percentage across the minors and a little bit of time in the big leagues. And they got Denelson Lamette, who I think, I think Milwaukee, outside of Cleveland, Milwaukee is the perfect place for Denelson Lamette. It was not long ago that Denelson Lamette was fourth in the Cy Young race. It's been a rough couple of seasons for him, but if anybody's going to get him back out and fix him, it's going to be the Brewers. I think that they're going to fix Denelson Lamette. I think it was a phenomenal trade for the Brewers, for the Padres. It does give them a key piece in that bullpen. It helps them out a little bit, but obviously what they got, what they really wanted to rest their laurels on was Soto. Uh, Houston then made another deal with the Red Sox, who they were actually playing, and got Christian Vasquez, their catcher, uh, which I thought was pretty good. I, I, Christian Vasquez isn't going to win any, any awards. He's not going to be somebody that uh, you're really looking at and counting on. But they did get Emmanuel and Manuel Valdez and uh, Willier Abreu. Valdez can really, really hit. Doesn't have a defensive position, but he can really hit. And Abreu is a guy that's uh, got a lot of power and speed. I thought that was a that's a fair deal for the Red Sox, who have just been wearing it lately. The Red Sox then trade for Tommy Pham, who's not good. Um, and just not not somebody I typically like. Uh, the Cardinals then traded in division and got Jose Quintana from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Then we didn't get another big deal. Obviously, then you had the Braves and the Astros swapping Odorizzi and Will Smith. Didn't get another big deal for a while until the Minnesota Twins made a deal with Baltimore to get Jorge Lopez for four pitching prospects. Jorge Lopez has been outstanding this year. Uh, I thought that, you know, the prospects they got, none of them were really outstanding. Kate Povich is one that might end up. But Jorge Lopez has kind of been falling back to earth a little bit. Maybe Baltimore decided here's a, here's a chance to get a couple, a few dart throws for a reliever that we think is going to go back down a little bit. Uh, Toronto and Miami made a small trade. Jordan Groshans, former top 100 prospect. One of I like him a lot. A guy that when he was drafted was considered the best prep bat potentially in that draft. Hasn't had the power come on at all. He's dealt with some injuries. Maybe the Marlins can kind of fix him. But Anthony Bass and Zach Pop went to Toronto. They really needed bullpen help. That's a good deal there. But the big deal, this is the capper. It's been, we've known for a while now that Juan Soto was getting dealt. It was just a question of whether it was at the deadline or whether it was the offseason. I still think that Baltimore should have been the one to make this deal. I do. I think Baltimore could have done this pretty easily just from the prospect package, and I think they could have done this, and I think they could have been competitive with a four-year, $200 million offer and make Juan Soto turn down $50 million a year. Didn't happen. The Padres went out, and they kind of saved us all from having to see Soto go to the Yankees or the Dodgers which or the Cardinals, which I'm fine with. We'll talk about the Cardinals in a second, why they were very, very stupid. But the Padres got Juan Soto and Josh Bell, which that is not a nothing here. Josh Bell is a big, 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 big upgrade over Eric Hosmer, uh, and they got Juan Soto to boot. Now, they gave up a ton. It's all prospects, uh, because there's kind of a weird little side note on this one, but it's all prospects that go to Washington. Mackenzie Gore, who was the consensus number was the number one overall pitching prospect in baseball for a while and like a top five prospect period in baseball before his call. He had a little bit of struggles. Looks like he's figured some stuff out. Rob outfielder Robert Hassel Hassel who who uh he's another one who's 
a lot of people in the industry think he could get up into being top 20, maybe even top 10. There's a lot to like about Hassel. C.J. Abrams, who's a top 10, top 20 prospect in baseball, has struggled a little bit at the big league level, but that's to be expected by the fact he really has no right to be at the big league level yet. He's super, super young, really talented, tool shed player, one of the fastest guys around, really interesting player. Even if I'm a little bit lower on him than everybody else, the general consensus on C.J. Abrams is that he might be if not the best shortstop prospect left in the minors right now, one of the top ones. Outfielder James Wood, who this is a name that prospect guys know and love. This is a name that you need to circle because this is a guy who at his ceiling is Aaron Judge. He's 6'7", 240, he's fast, has mammoth power, and also has a chance to be a good defender if that speed ticks up. I think he's Giancarlo Stanton 2.0. I don't think that that speed's going to continue going. I think Aaron Judge is a little bit of a unicorn, and you always need to be leery of six, seven outfielders. But James Wood, that's a big get there. The last name in that deal, Harlan Susana. This is one that you probably aren't going to know the name of. He's still in A-ball, but this is a guy who has, or really, I think he's still in the complex, actually. But this is a, a pitching prospect that prospect guys and scouts are enamored with. He is flying up boards. I think you'll see him in a top 100 very, very shortly. And originally, this was going to include the Nationals taking on Eric Hosmer with the Padres paying off three years of his deal. Now, Eric Hosmer has a no-trade clause, a 10-team no-trade clause, and the Nationals were on this, uh, and he did turn. He did decline that. No problem. The Nationals and the Padres figured out the deal anyway, so if you're Eric Hosmer, that kind of sucks for you. Is He then gets traded to Boston. They get him, and I don't see what they're coming down with. The San Diego's paying a significant portion of that contract. Uh, it's $44 million remaining, so essentially they're probably not going to get really anybody in return. But for the Padres to go out and get the best reliever, or at least up until this last month, one of the best relievers in baseball we've seen in a long time in Josh Hader. Then they go out and they get Juan Soto. You're talking about a lineup that now features Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis is coming back. That is a ridiculous, that's probably the best three-headed monster in a baseball lineup in the history of baseball. That is just an incredible trio right there. Add in Josh Hader, who's better than Taylor Rogers, and you get an upgrade in the bullpen, but it's really about those three. Now, the pods have destroyed their farm system, so if they don't win a World Series with Juan Soto, and they don't, if they don't get to one in the, in the three years that they've got of postseasons with Soto, then Preller is staking his entire career on getting a World Series here. And I can't say that I blame him, because even with what they get, that's a crazy amount. Even with what they gave, gave up, it is still not a like a great chance that it's going to be better than what Juan Soto is. Juan Soto is essentially the Ted Williams of this generation, and he's already younger than almost all of those prospects that are going to Washington. I know Juan Soto's been in the bigs for a little bit, but you have to bear in mind that Juan Soto is 23 years old. That's the insanity of what you're talking about with a guy like Juan Soto being on the market. You haven't seen a guy on the market like Juan Soto since Miguel Cabrera. So if you've got a chance to land that guy, you do it and figure out everything else later. There have been a few other smaller deals. The Dodgers traded Clayton Beater to the Yankees for Joey Gallo. I think that's a really stinky move. Joey Gallo, if you haven't read up on it, uh, just I feel so bad for Gallo. And it's so much of what's going on with him right now is mental. He needed to get out of New York. I actually think he'll do pretty well. Uh, in LA, I think he'll go to that team and essentially be another Max Muncy. He'll hit some big home runs for them. He'll play good defense. LA is not the easiest town in the world, but compared to New York, it's a cakewalk. And that's that's where we're at. Now, I've got a couple other trades that are just now kind of coming out there. Luke Voigt is ended up going to Washington in the in the Juan Soto deal instead. The Phillies just got David Robertson from the Cubs. They've already had him before. Um, 
didn't work out for the last time they had him, but they'll try again. They need a bullpen. Their bullpen is horrendous. Uh, the the Mets went out and got Darren Ruff again. Just one of the more one of the more disappointing deadlines for them. I don't I actually don't think it's bad. I actually think it's kind of smart for them. Um, Philly's also going out and getting Brandon Marsh. Looks like from the Angels. Uh, Logan O'Hop is the one getting dealt. And Brandon Marsh is going to give them some defense in Philly, which is what they really need. Can't really hit, so I'm not, I'm not worried about the Phillies. Uh, now, the Mets going and getting Darren Ruff, Dan Vogelbach, and... Um, oh, who am I missing already? Dan Vogelbach, Darren Ruff. That's not... Exa- uh, Tyler Naquin and Philip Deal. That's not going to break down any barriers. Uh, I actually don't think that's bad for the Mets. It's just anticlimactic for a team that you thought was going to be really in on everybody. For them to kind of just add bench pieces and nothing pieces, it does seem kind of lame, which is fine because I'm for all for the Braves doing more. There's still about two hours and ten minutes left. Don't forget last season, Alex Anthopoulos was making deals at the very, very end. You actually didn't get a lot of them announced until after the deadline is over. So we'll, we'll see what he's got up his sleeve. I think that I still think that Alex is going to at least add a reliever. I don't know who it's going to be, but I do think that there's a reliever coming. And I, I think there's an outside chance that you could see him go for somebody like Ian Happ. Now, the Twins just got the other big starting pitcher on the market. They are getting Tyler Malley from the Reds. So it just says two hitting prospects and one pitching prospect. It hasn't been announced who's going where yet. Uh, I would imagine if I were to hang a guess probably a spencer steer um maybe i think spencer steer is probably going to be the the main guy going back maybe even you see a guy like a matt cantorino or jordan belazovich um maybe a Simeon woods richardson i'm not sure carlos rodon and pablo lopez are still in the market for starting pitchers uh i i just i don't see the braves making any other big moves i think they're kind of tapped as far as big moves i do think ian happ is a possibility which would be nice but we'll see going forward. There's a lot to get. There's a lot to watch in the last two hours. So I'm sorry that I'm not going to be able to get to all of it. We'll cover that again on Thursday. If there's anything else major that pops out, we'll see. Uh, we'll get to some of the returns for Tyler Malley uh, on Thursday. But as is, the Braves have a little, a little set. A little. I think it's a two-game set with the Phillies starting tonight. And it's uh, I think it's Spencer Strider on the mound tonight, which is going to be nice. Yes, you're getting Spencer Strider and a bullpen game from the Phillies. So you feel pretty good about that last time out. Obviously, Spencer did very well. But I am going to watch to see how they do. Uh, Last time he faced a lineup twice in a row was Washington. And Washington came in the second time and really waited him out and did very well against him. We'll see if Spencer's able to adjust against the Phillies, who who just got done seeing him. And we'll see what Spencer can put together. I'm feeling great. Austin Riley's feeling great. We'll see what the Braves can do going forward. And I do think this would be a very good night to see Ronald Acuna get himself a homer. I just want to see him start lifting the ball. I'm... Still confident in Ronald. I know people are, are, you know, morons and talk bad about Acuna. He's still one of the best players in Major League Baseball, and he'll figure it out. The Braves right now looking very, very strong, getting Austin Riley sending a uh, sign, sending a big message to the rest of baseball saying, that's cool, you can make your little trades. I don't really need to because I did a better job developing, and we trust all of our guys. Great Great trade deadline for the Braves. Most exciting one in baseball in my memory. Phenomenal. We'll we'll be back on Thursday to talk about what's going down. But for now, that's going to do it for me here today. Thank you guys for tuning in. That's going to be it. We're going to be back on Thursday here for the 643 Podcast.
That's all, folks. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.